1: Welcome to Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is the show where we talk about work, motherhood, and the grace we need for both. We are making and being made. Come join us. Well, hello. Welcome back to Kindled. This is episode 87, and I'm your host, Haley Williams. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Val Warner. In the fall of 2013, about two weeks before her first daughter was born, Val started selling a six-month prayer journal. It exploded. It turns out she wasn't the only one whose prayer time many days consisted of staring at a blank wall running through her to-do list instead of actually praying. Since then, she has sold over 75,000 prayer journals through her company, Val Marie Paper. Val has also written a book called Grumpy Mom Takes a Holiday, and so we're chatting all of the things today. I know a lot of you follow and love Val, so I'm just going to get right into the conversation here's my chat with Val Warner. Valerie, welcome to Kindled.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat.
1: Yeah, I'm really happy that this was able to work out now that you have some some free time with kids in school and I almost have free time with kids in in preschool. (laughs) So why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Tell us who you are and what you do.
0: Yeah, I am Valerie. I live in South Louisiana with my husband, Tyler, and we've been married for nine years. And we have two little girls. Vivi is five and Vanna is three. And I um, own a company called Valmary Paper. We sell prayer journals and a prayer course. And most recently I have been writing books. So I recently came out with one called Grumpy Mom Takes a Holiday. And yeah, those are the things that take up take up my days.
1: Awesome. So where are you seeing God's grace in your life?
0: Man, right now, I feel like I'm in this season where I haven't planned a ton for the next six months. And normally I kind of over plan. And I feel like the Lord has just been really gracious to help me say no to a lot of different things and kind of just wait and see what he has for me in this time and not have it so full that I either put too much on, or I say no to things that I think he wants me to do right now. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's such a hard balance to walk sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So you wrote a book that I read and loved. I'm still reading it. I'm near the end. Grumpy Mom Takes a Holiday. And then you already mentioned your Valmarie paper and that business, which I'd love to learn a little bit more about kind of how you got into that and you know where that where that came from. But let's start with the book and kind of what you talk about in there is this concept of grumpy mom. <laughs> I, I mean, it's in the title. Yeah. So could you kind of explain like where that comes from in your own life? What that means to you? You know, how do we get to grumpy mom? How do we get to being that person? Cause I think everyone listening who's a mom understands what you mean, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something we all experience, but we don't, like you said, we don't always know how we get there. And I feel like that was the biggest reason for writing this book is helping moms figure that out. And become aware of it because I feel like it is very subtle and even hidden from us because um, we have an enemy who wants to distract us from being really intentional about raising our kids, being very fruitful so that the world sees us do motherhood differently. Mm-hmm. But I think what causes us to be grumpy or what I have found in my life to be true are just hearing everything that the culture has to say about motherhood. And in this day and age, it has a lot to do with stereotypes and memes and different things. Like, you know, moms always have dirty hair, always wearing yoga pants. You can never finish a conversation with your husband. Mm -hmm. You can never go to the bathroom alone. All of these things that we kind of unify under so that we can feel a part of something. And just honestly, like, feel unified in it, but it actually can be damaging in our thoughts whenever we get alone and by ourselves, and our kids do something frustrating. It could just be the point, the thing that sinks us instead of knowing God's truth about something. I think those stereotypes just kind of suck us into this grumpy mood that we wouldn't have if we, you know, don't get me wrong. We would still have it sometimes, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't last as long. It wouldn't be as intense if we knew God's truth or could like, Quickly find God's truth in those moments when we start to be grumpy. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, and those are stereotypes that I I mean I've heard, or just kind of like you said, memes of moms that are kind of funny, or you know, make us feel like we're part of something bigger, like this sisterhood or this like unifying kind of reality of like, yeah, you know, it's just motherhood. Or yeah, but I think you're right that if we are not careful, it's really easy to diminish through that, like the purpose of motherhood, the beauty of motherhood, the, and and I don't mean beauty like, oh, it's just this picturesque Instagram post. That's not what I mean. But like the beauty in this, in the difficulty, in the suffering, in like those hard moments of discipline or moments of like, you know, struggle where things aren't going perfectly, which is most of our life as a mom, right? Like the larger percentage of, our existence, especially in, in, a, in, the season of being a young mom is not that kind of idyllic moment that we might picture. Yes, exactly. And so do you have like thoughts on why those have been so influential for moms or, or influencing our, our, our kind of our perspective, our thinking, our attitudes? Yeah. Why is that such a, Why is that such a thing?
0: I think because it's so easy to latch on to kind of like we were saying, like the, just we unify under it. Like that is kind of like when I get around my grandmother, the things that we talk about are the weather and traffic. And I feel like if you're a mom, you know, like there's just certain things, conversations you gravitate towards, and this is kind of ours. And I mean, I, I think like the enemy is just really sneaky. Like he doesn't need to make us, you know, like terrible you know, murderers or anything crazy. All he needs to do is distract us with these funny things that we see on the internet or whatever. And he can distract us from so much of what God has for us. And if the world looks at us and sees somebody who is just like every other mom, you know, like if we respond the same way and target to our kids as every other mom, then we're obviously not pointing others to like, Oh, there's something different about this woman. And I think our situation is going to be the same. We're still going to have a toddler who screams, like we're not going to have these perfect circumstances, but if we can respond differently, that is going to minister to ourselves, to our kids and to anybody around us who sees that. So I think we just have an enemy. We know he's sneaky. We know he's going to if it works, he's going to keep doing it. So I think like for mm-hmm. our culture today, that's what happens. And Romans twelve two, which is the verse that is throughout the book or like the heart of it is throughout the book. It says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. And we are called to transform our minds. So we know that in all eras of history, like this has been an issue and this is just kind of like the patterns of our world right now.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. I think that's so true. And not only like, should we have a different reaction than the mom that doesn't have Christ, but we actually can, you know, it's yes. not, it's not as much of a should as like, that's actually available to us.
0: Yes. Yes. And
1: That's the kind of the amazing thing about it is like, God doesn't ask us to do anything that he doesn't enable us to do. <laughs> yeah. So what, what did you find? You know, I know this book came from like a really, you know, your own life experiences, a really personal place in your own journey. What did you find tended to or tends to zap your strength the most as a mom of young kids? And you have just, everyone knows, you know, you know, kids under the age of ages of 10, two kids under the ages of 10. So what do you feel is some of the most kind of like hotly contested battlegrounds of your heart in a sense?
0: I think it has a lot to do with my expectations. Like if I expect my three-year-old to never spill milk, or to know how to tie her shoes or like, you know, get dressed by herself. I'm going to be disappointed when those things happen. And a lot of it happens whenever there's just like frustrations with our kids in general, like those are going to be the points where we have a choice to make. And it takes energy to respond with grace and with joy and with patience to discipline them for the same thing we've done a thousand times. But I think a lot of times just remembering that the same way You know, like I am a parent to my kids and I want to teach them good things. Like God is God sees me as his kid and I am his kid and he's trying to teach me things and he has to repeat things over and over and again to me. And I think whenever I just like really acknowledge that relationship and the role that I have with my kids, I feel like it just energizes me to keep going, knowing that that God's so gracious. He does this with me to I wanna obviously like imitate Christ and I want to Live the same way, just model that for my kids too. Mm-hmm.
1: Was there like a season of life where the message that you share in the book kind of started stirring in your own heart? And what did that look like?
0: Yeah, it actually started before I was a mom. Whenever I was pregnant with my first daughter, and I just already have a melancholy personality, which can very quickly like get negative and dread things. And you just, I think people want to make sure that you're not being naive. So whenever you express like an excited, you know, like, Oh, I'm just can't wait. This is going to be so great. I'm so excited to be a mom. Their immediate reaction is to warn you Mm. that you should not be that excited. (laughs) This is harder than you think it's going to be. And I remember writing down a goal. It was, it was like this power sheets. I don't know if you know that planner, but Yeah. yeah. I I just remember writing down, I was like, what's your big God-sized dream? And I remember writing down that I would live motherhood differently and talk about motherhood differently. And I I feel like it was super audacious of me to even say that because I was not a mom at that point. But I feel like the Lord just planted this seed of moms need to be encouraged. People who are not moms yet, you know, like my sister doesn't have kids yet. I think sometimes if you don't have kids yet, you kind of just think like, this is just what I'm supposed to do. I'm not really looking forward to it because every mom that I hear talks about how stressed they are or frustrated yeah. they are. Right. But I think it, it just came out of this desire to like, just paint a different picture. And I think I just knew it was possible. And I really, I just feel like the Lord was so gracious to like, keep that positivity in me because I'm not naturally a positive person, uh-huh. but I think I was so scared of going negative and how far that would take me that I feel like I had to, it was just kind of like this survival of like, no, there has to be something more or I'm going to sink in this. And over time, he just started reeling, like I'd start hearing things, stereotypes and just the memes and everything. And I would just get so overwhelmed of like this, this is what's, what's sinking us. And the book kind of came from all that. Yeah. I mean, that's
1: so common. You know, I mean, I think everyone probably either when you were pregnant, expecting your first or with a little baby, or I I am even told this today, like with my three and almost five-year-old and I have another little girl on the way here in like 10 weeks, (laughs) I'll hear, Oh, you don't just wait till junior high. Just wait till middle school with all that, all those hormones and all that estrogen. And it's like, Do you think I haven't thought of that? (laughs) Do you think that I don't already realize, like that you know that there are going to be challenges specific to having three girls, and I'm already aware of some of that. But like, there is just kind of this natural reflex in us, and I've certainly done it to other people. I'm sure, Mm -hmm. yeah. To dampen joy or like tamp down positivity or like excitement, almost with like a. I think someone called, I can't remember what author calls it foreboding joy. Okay. But like, yeah. Like, almost like, no, you're not, you're probably not going to have joy. <laughs> like um, anticipating something that hasn't even happened yet. Worst case scenario, thinker, whatever you want to call it, I guess. But there is just like that reflex. And I think it's a sinful one. I think we know probably why there would be, why is there any inclination in us to not build someone up, but rather kind of tear them down. And I wonder if like part of it is our own insecurity in our motherhood, you know, Mm -hmm. our own insecurity in, in perhaps like misplaced identity or feeling like our kids aren't obeying us or things aren't going as well as we thought. And so when someone else seems to be having it okay or like in a, in a good season or, or whatever, like we kind of want to level the playing field in a way and yeah. say, well, you just wait, it's going to get worse. Or, you know, you must not be here yet. Oh, just wait. Like something. Yeah. Like-
0: I know. I talk about this in the book, but like, we can't do motherhood for the praise because it's never going to be enough. And I think like, if we, yeah. Are experiencing different things in motherhood that we feel like we're not doing as good of a job or we just feel like we're frustrated. Or if you do see a mom that's really, really happy, you instantly feel like there's something wrong with you right. and you want to explain it away by thinking, oh, her joy is fake. Like, I bet you she goes home and cries. you know, like whatever it is. <laughs> but we don't realize that like that has been the biggest of what I'm up against when it comes to this book is a mom who just feels like she's so far gone that that's not true for her. Like this message is for some moms, but you know, I have six kids or I have a child with disability or I have this and that. And we, we are refusing to experience God's joy because we just feel like we have different circumstances and we don't realize like, it's not it's not making us feel better. It's Mm -hmm. hurting ourselves when we do that. And I think those phrases, like when, when you see somebody with more joy and you just assume that it has to be that they're not getting it, they're being naive we're missing out on just asking the question We're like, well, is it possible that I'm, that I could be experiencing that joy too? Let me like, just be aware of my thoughts. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you hit on something big.
1: Yeah. And, and I don't even think that you're saying, or either of us are saying that there isn't real suffering involved in right. and real sacrifice. Cause mm-hmm. there absolutely is. I, you know, it's similar to marriage. Like, of course, you know, before you get married, you're really excited. All you can think about is planning your wedding and everything kind of leads up to this one big day. And then you're like, oh, and now I have to be married. I, nobody told me how to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So- having a baby, like people like focus so much on their birth plan, but don't think about actually caring for a newborn. (laughs) At least, at least I found that to be true. Like I was really worried about labor and delivery and then was like, Oh my gosh, that that's over. And now I'm a mom forever and I have no clue what I'm doing. And I think that, so it's not that there isn't going to be, you, you know, you're not saying there are not hard realities. There isn't, there is no suffering or, you know, right. Anything like that. But you're kind of talking about the perspective that we're able to have in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in.
0: Right. And our response to it, you know, like I think we sometimes think assuming it's not right, real for somebody else makes us feel like it, you know, like if we are suffering, it's, not, it's just not going to help us. It doesn't mean it's not real. It just, our responses can either help how we go through it or not help it, and it doesn't mean we don't go through it. It just means we can experience in two different ways. I, I think so.
1: Yeah, there was a, a something similar kind of happened to me actually at my rehearsal dinner the night before I got married on my art like our wedding day, mm-hmm. and we had a the wife of the guy that married us. Um, and perform the ceremony. She was like, so how are you feeling? And I was like, oh, I mean, I'm excited, but you know, I know it'll be really hard. And there was that same foreboding joy. Like I was kind of trying to prevent myself from being too happy or like, don't get too excited because it's probably going to suck. You know, that was sort of like my, it was almost like a protect self-protection or Mm self-defense or
0: something. You don't want to be let down. Yeah, Yeah,
1: exactly. I didn't want to be let down. And so I was trying to like maintain some sort of balance or something. And She was like, she was like, why do you say that? Why? I mean, yeah, it's hard, but like, it's so good. You you don't need to go into it with that perspective or thinking that way. And it was such a like contrary response to most of what I had heard when I said things like that. You know, people saying like, yeah, marriage is pretty tough, or you know, whatever. Just talking about kind of like the difficulty and the challenges and and all of that, which is real, of course. But it just that perspective, like lightened my load in such a, in such a way that I had not experienced when talking with other people. And I mean, it stuck with me. I got married like eight years ago and that I yeah. had not forgotten that she said that. And I, I think that that response was really godly and really encouraging and uplifting. And it, you know, she didn't say, well, it's not hard. She just was like, I don't think she was basically like going into it with that perspective certainly isn't going to help. You know, it's certainly not going to help you like fight better or fight for your marriage harder or any of those things. It's really just going to kind of cast a shadow of doom and gloom over everything. So,
0: yeah. And uh, you just like, I I think that when we were talking about like, why does this message keep going? Or I don't know, like how, how is this culture like spreading so much towards affecting us so much? And I think that's one reason is that if five girls are talking about how hard their kids are, you don't want to be the one to be like, Oh, my kids actually slept all night long. Like we, we, we feel like we'll be judged for being positive or we'll look like we're judging them. So we, in response, we just kind of like go along with it instead of changing the tone to a more positive one. And, and I think that's just one more reason why, you know, like we're afraid of, of being the person who is naive or who looks like they have it all together, or that somebody would judge because we're looking holier than thou. And I think we have to, if we're aware of all these things, we can be sensitive. We can look to the Holy spirit to say, God, how can I change this conversation without Making anyone feel bad, but also like lifting them up, and not just like we're not just bringing everybody into this pit. We're saying like, look, I know it's hard, but how are we going to like build each other up out of this? Mm -hmm.
1: Is there anything that you've found, or any I don't know, a way that you've been able to do that in your own, you know, real life relationships that has felt authentic and real to you, and not like you were just kind of like trying to avoid a hard conversation or trying yeah. to make yourself look better. Like how would you say someone could do that?
0: Yeah. So there are, I feel like I'm still trying to figure this out. Cause I am, I feel like such an awkward person because I have a book on this, <laughs> but you know, sometimes it's been the conversations have been so bad. And I just kind of like, if my girls are there, I'll just like, I know I remember one conversation in particular, I was like, I can't say anything positive and I can't say anything negative right now. So I'm just going to pay attention and like make faces at my daughter or like we were playing. I spy just kind of off to the side. Mm-hmm. So I feel like some it's in some points it's better not to say anything. And, mm-hmm. and I don't want to say, I think people will get the hint, but they'll know if you're not entertaining the conversation. Yeah. But other times it could be really subtle, like just saying the whole, like, yeah, you know what? My kids were doing that too, but you know, like, Oh, well, what are we going to do about it? Or like, just kind of like changing the tone that like, there's hope. So whether that's, what are we going to do about it? And not enough. I don't know how to say that, but you, you don't need to use that exact phrase, but something sure. with that emphasis of just like, you know, like yeah. how did you guys sleep train or you you know, like, what did y'all do for this? Like knowing that like, you're not stuck in something I think right. is positive and it will help them to offer some positivity to you that they might have in their own life. And I have said this, like we just with this book coming out, we've had people say like, okay, I'm ready. I feel like so pumped about this, but I'm nervous because I, I know the conversations that me and my friends have revolve around this. And if it's your close friends, you can talk to them before you get into a negative conversation. It's more like, Hey, this is what I'm learning about. I'm really excited about this. Did you hear about you know, like whatever. And not to like, just talk about our book. Like you could just say like, you know, I've been learning about like trying to like not, or just I've been realizing how much these things are affecting me. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to do this differently. I think approaching the conversation, not in the middle of them or like right after they say something negative Mm -hmm. is really key because I think they'll hear it better and they won't feel so defensive. Like, right you're you know saying something against them but i've told a lot of people just have tell your friends like i want to read this book let's read it together and then it's not like you're telling them like this is what we should be doing or i don't want to be a part of this conversation
1: yeah that's a great idea i want to take a quick second to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode prep dish if you're listening to this show, you are likely a busy mom who has to figure out what your family is eating for dinner tonight. You guys have heard me talk about this before, and honestly, I have never been one for meal planning, much less meal prepping, but Dish is changing that for me and my family. It's my new secret weapon for healthy, stress-free meals. When you sign up, you'll receive an email every week with a done-for-you grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. You'll do your chopping and mixing ahead of time, leaving you with zero decisions to be made at dinner. So, for example, this week, a couple of the meals that I prepped to make for my family are flank steak salad with roasted sweet potatoes and chicken with peanut dipping sauce, sesame broccoli, and brown rice. You've heard me say it before, my complaint with meal planning is what if I don't feel like eating that thing that night? Well, with PrepDish, that is no longer a problem because I can pick from any of the prepared meals that are in my fridge ready to go. And guys, listen to this. The founder, Allison, is offering listeners a free two-week trial to try it out. You cannot beat that. Check out PrepDish.com slash Kindled for this amazing deal. PrepDish has gluten-free, paleo, and keto options. Again, that is PrepDish.com Kindled for your first two weeks free. That is plenty of time to try it out and see if it's going to make your afternoons and evenings less hectic and less stressful and more delicious. When I first started reading your book, it kind of, I can't even remember, to be honest, if it, if this idea came to me from your book, but to have like a fun day, that's not in your book, yeah. is it? or is it in your book? I can't remember.
0: Yes. Like when my girls were out of school for like a month straight because oh, yeah. of sickness and yes. in Louisiana, which never happened.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yes. That's right. I remember that now. So tell us about what that was and then I'll kind of share how that
0: yeah. impacted me. Um, I think for me, that was just a season. It was our busy time. We do a lot of our business in December. My girls kept getting sick and they would be one would be better and then the other one would be sick. And then we were out for like a holiday Mm -hmm. and then it was just then three snow days, which is crazy. (laughs) And I think by the third one, I just realized like I'm gripping so hard to my plans and I'm so frustrated right now. I I can't even tell you. It felt like it was just so easy to be the victim of like, I can't believe this is happening to me. I've been taking home for a month, whatever. And whenever I just like, let go of my own plan. It was just like, we're just gonna make it a fun day. Like we are mm-hmm. if if I can choose to see it that way instead of try to hold on to my plan for one more day. Like you just don't realize or I didn't realize. I thought the problem was what was causing me to be so frustrated whenever I was like, no, it's just because I'm holding on so tightly to a plan that's not gonna happen right now and I'm refusing to let go. So yeah, that it it made a big difference in how I saw the day with my girls. And I don't think I could have known that I would, could have looked looked so forward to a day like that, but it, it made all the difference in the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that, like that example really stuck with me this summer. Um, as I was, you know, like most moms kind of in a different rhythm and routine, didn't have as much childcare, you know, things were just kind of more up in the air yet. Still, all of the same things had to get done yeah. somehow, and I have a business, and so it's like, well, how's that gonna work? <laughs> you know and um and struggling through that every day just as a reality, I think I read that I must have read that chapter one morning, and I just was like, you know, this is i'm gonna i'm gonna try this like this is a great i loved I love the idea. I loved you know the perspective of it and and how there it wasn't like that it it, it wasn't that you, you know, again, that you were saying like there's nothing hard and nobody disobeyed mm-hmm. and nobody had a bad attitude and there was no suffering, like of course we are raising sinful little children and we are sinful, and so of course you are coming up against those things, but the perspective shift just changed everything. And it was like because I I even pitched it to my kids one day where I was like, we're gonna do this, we're gonna have a fun day. What do you guys wanna do for fun day? And they just like it was actually a little bit sad to me, how much of a difference it made in them.
0: Yes. Because yes. I was
1: like, Oh my gosh. Am I really just so rigid all the time? And so kind of like tunnel vision to my own plans, my own needs, my own expectations that I am like kind of looking right past them, you know, looking right past them as children and as like little children, not just children, but like small children. And, you know, and I don't know, as little people, and I'm not trying to like, put this in rose colored glasses because it wasn't like that day just was like floating on cloud Mm. nine or something. Like it was still really hot. My, you know, my three-year-old always complains when she gets in the car, like I'm sweaty. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: You know, it's like, okay, I'm working on it, (laughs) but I guess just that perspective shift, like so much of this is about a perspective shift because Nobody is like you know. You're not like here's my strategy to offload your kids for ten more hours a week and how you know it's like that isn't what it's about. It's not about actually changing your circumstance. It's about changing your perspective. And man, it's so powerful.
0: Yeah, I was about to say it's so powerful because you can feel so out of control of things. Like you have no control over you know whether your toddler who's potty training is gonna have an accident in you know I mean. We were just dealing with that recently. And you're just like, I don't have control over that. I can ask her to go to the bathroom beforehand. I can ask her when we go in the store, but I can't control that. And if we focus on what we can't control, it is going to be the most frustrating thing. But if we focus on what we can control, Mm -hmm. it's just hopeful. It's a lot more hopeful. And we, we just realize like my joy is not at the mercy of whether my kids do what I want them to do right now. Yeah.
1: Man, as you were talking, I flash back to earlier this summer, at the beginning, my daughter, before she turned three, we were in home goods. And of course, you know, no, I don't know what it is about kids not wanting to go to the bathroom. They just <laughs> I don't have to go. I just went, and I'm like, no, it's been three hours since you went. <laughs> but um, so we had done that whole thing at home before leaving, and she didn't have to go, so I didn't make her. And then we're in Home Goods. She's sitting in the cart, and she was like, I have to go potty. And I was like, Oh, okay, hold on. Can you hold it? And she looks at me with like these wide eyes of like no. <laughs> and I look down and realized she is peeing through the cart onto oh, no. goods in the middle of like an aisle, <laughs> like the main aisle. And I'm just like, oh my god. Like now I'm gonna be that mom whose kid is peeing on the floor, like so gross. And was just, I was just mortified. And, but I looked around and realized I was right in the kitchen aisle where near the kitchen aisle, where there's like packs of rags. <laughs> so oh, I yeah. grabbed a pack of kitchen rags and like, you know, broke them open and just started like cleaning up the floor Threw all the dirty rags in there. I think I had like a, some a target bag or something with me or something like that. Threw everything in there and I just was like, I mean, I was, I was frustrated. I was just like, why did you do this? Oh my gosh. You know, the the typical response is like, I told you to go to the bathroom. This is why you need to listen to mommy, all of the Mm -hmm. things, but later was able to kind of laugh and see the, you know, the hilarity, I guess in that moment (laughs) after I had left the store, it wasn't funny until like long after I was at the store, but yeah, I mean those like, I, I think that that's where so much of my frustration comes from as a mom is I want to be in control. I want to get yeah. everything about my day, my kids, my experience. And that is not a promise that God has given me in scripture. Like mm-hmm. it's not said no. you, you will or should be able to control them. And that isn't best for them either. That isn't how he, you know, how he actually like grows them and becomes for them someone that they rely on and need and trust and, and love, you know, I mean, but I think I just, I create, like our, our human heart is just a little idol factory. And I do create that idol of self self. Yeah. So how do you balance between the idea of kind of like wanting life to be, you, you say it in this way, a gravy train of comforts, Mm -hmm. or if you're not suffering enough, you're not, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like this idea that, that maybe motherhood is struggle, like life is suffering, you know, and kind of that like more pessimistic idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I first, I feel like I lean more towards the, like, I love my comforts and I will take more self care of myself than I really need to. I think, yeah, when it comes down to like either idolizing comfort or idolizing suffering in both cases, we're still not focused on the Lord. We're focused on this thing that we think we are called to. We are called to have all of our comforts. We are called to have this great life. We are called to have all these things. When, when we look at the Bible, we see Paul in a prison having joy or when we're suffering or, you know, like we, we feel called to this life of suffering. So I'm just going to go through it. And we forget, to that our God is good and our God gives good things to his kids and we don't acknowledge the blessing that he gives us. Like, I feel like that's disrespectful to him. And it's also, we're just not living in the abundance that he's given us. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's so like cliche or like, you know, what all the world wants to tell us, like living in this abundance, but like our God is good. He, he has blessed us so richly. And I think we have to know that suffering is going to be a part of our life that's promised, Mm -hmm. you know, we're called to take up our cross, but there's also tons of scripture about God who has just blessed us with sunsets and millions of creatures around us and everything. And I think we don't, when we take those things for granted, we make it so much about us and not about God. Right. Yes.
1: Yes. I think you said, Somewhere, you know, coming to understand our suffering and our comforts through the lens of God and his purposes. So like that he has purpose in providing us the the things that we actually do need. Like it says that if he takes care of the birds of the air, like how much more will he not take care of us? And that Mm -hmm. looks like providing our very real physical needs and yet also enabling the suffering that we do encounter To transform us, like you said earlier, and like renew us and trans and like make us more like Christ. Like, those are He sovereignly uses those things in the life of His children. And so, like, it's not that we need to avoid either one, but we need to, like, ask and I guess see, ask for discernment and wisdom to see how He is using them. And when we can't, to just be, you know, ask for the patience to, um, to persevere through
0: it. Yeah. You know, and I feel like this is the beauty of motherhood in that it is such an opportunity to keep us so dependent on the Lord because there's so many things we don't know how to do. And, you know, we can get cocky. I know there's certain things that I think I'm really great at. I could do this on my own. And then there's other things that I know I can't do this at all. And the things that I feel like I can't do at all, I am like all in with the Lord. I'm asking him what to do. So I think, just seeing this as another place where we say, whether it's comforts or suffering, just knowing like God has a purpose for it. And I want to be so dependent on him to know what his purpose is that I keep coming back. I don't just say like, Nope, life is all about comforts. Nope. Life is all about suffering. And just, but instead just trust that there's going to be both. And I'm just going to follow the Lord Mm -hmm. for why he has this and what he can do with it too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I wrote down just in my notes, how comparison plays into this, that often that is where a lot of our dissatisfaction kind of gets fueled or it's like, it's like pouring flame onto the fire of that potential to become dissatisfied or to be kind of discontent with your life. When you see what someone else is going through, whether it is more suffering or more comfort just to compare our circumstances to them. And rather than doing that, we should be looking to God, like you said, and asking, like, how are you using this in my life? Show me how mm-hmm. you are changing me. Show me what purposes this is for. And when when you don't show me, give me the patience to just trust you. And, and yes. trust even, you know, even in the times where I don't have the the end of the story, I'm not going to necessarily know why this is happening, but I can see you in it.
0: Yes, yeah, I feel like that creates such a dependence on him that we we need every day, but some days we don't think we need it.
1: Mm-hmm. Which that kind of gets us into another area for you that has become kind of—I I wouldn't say like the flag you fly, but at least like mm-hmm. uh, something that you are really passionate about—and that's prayer.
0: Yes, yeah. So,
1: talk to me about how prayer became such a focus for you in your work, in your mm-hmm. in your own spiritual walk. What what is that? journey looked like?
0: Yeah. So I was signing wedding invitations at the time and pregnant with my first daughter and just like, so overwhelmed with feeling like I'm a hypochondriac. So everything that you feel in your body when you're pregnant, I feel like just created so much anxiety in me. And I really knew I was like, if I'm going to make it through pregnancy, it's going to require so much prayer, so much of like just surrendering these things just thoughts in my mind. And, and I feel like there was just so much for me to pray for. And maybe it was just pregnancy brain feeling very foggy, but I was like, I need to organize these things. And I kind of envisioned this monthly format where you can kind of like fill out things in categories, and then you just have it for the month that you can look over and pray through. And I actually Googled for two months to see if I could find this because I was in my first trimester. I wasn't about to try to like design this myself, even though I knew how to design and I guess once I got on my first trimester and still couldn't find it, I decided to create it. And that was six years ago. And I feel like since then, it's been, you know, prayer was already something I was passionate about because I grew up with a mom who prayed for me over my anxieties and different things like that from a very early age. And I always knew God heard even my littlest or seemingly little prayers Mm -hmm. and the things in my heart. But I feel like whenever I started selling the prayer journals, it became just something I'm so passionate about helping people overcome the obstacles and the roadblocks for why we don't pray. So I began researching and studying the word about prayer and just using my own experiences and the things that I would learn about prayer, you know, from seasons of silence, seasons of feeling like God, I prayed harder than I've ever prayed before for healing and it didn't come. I just feel like God has given me such an opportunity to share what I've learned. And it's just made me more passionate as I get to hear, you know, what people struggle with. And I want so badly to just share those things that I think will be motivating. So I feel like my own passion has come from just hearing what other people are struggling with, with prayer and hoping that I can help. I mean, I've seen God work so, so much in my life and I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think, prayer was real <laughs> yeah. and that it wasn't worth your time. So right. yeah.
1: how would, how do you answer the question? I'm sure you get this all the time. Like, I don't really know how to pray. I feel like a beginner or like a novice when it comes to prayer. Like I,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if I feel that God is necessarily speaking back to me. What am I supposed to feel? Like, how do you answer that type of question? Do you Have you gotten yeah. that
0: question? Yes. And I I mean, honestly, that's, we created this little like devotional, it's like 31 days that talk about all these things about prayer. And we even created a prayer course because we feel like this topic is like, there's so many internal battles that we have with prayer more than just the distractions, which is what we feel like our prayer journal has helped with. But I would say like, if you're just starting out and you just feel like, does God hear me? Does this matter? Am I going to say the right words? I think just, I would say even the disciples who spent so much time with the Lord, they asked and they said, Lord, teach me how to pray. And Hmm. in, I think it's Romans, it talks about how the Holy Spirit helps us and intercedes for us when we don't know what to say. So just know right off the bat that this is not something that if you don't know how to do, then you must be in the wrong place because we, we start out not knowing. Like this is not, this is something that we learn in. learn and grow in. And you know, everything that we've created is not, we we say like, you're not going to learn how to pray from our course, our books, whatever. You're going to learn how to pray by actually praying. And we hope our products will help you do that. That's why we do it. But you're going to learn how to pray by actually praying. So do not give up when you start talking to God and you feel awkward and silly because there's nobody sitting in front of you. Keep praying. The more you pray, the more real it's going to be. And don't get discouraged. If you don't feel the right thing, if you don't mm-hmm. think God is listening, if it feels like, well, nothing happened, just keep praying. And the, we have to believe, like if we don't believe in our heart um, that, that what we're saying is going to a real person, like we need to have that faith. And part of having that faith is studying your Bible and learning about who God is and knowing that we can trust him and knowing that as we talk to him and as he hears us, he cares about us and he responds to us. Mm -hmm. And I would also just say, allow for silence to happen in your life, not just in your quiet time, but in your day Right. and just become aware that the Lord is with you Know that he can speak to you at any time, and I don't know that yeah. sounds so weird, but I think if we're aware of his presence and, and that he can speak, we can hear him more. Because yeah, if he whispers to us and we have the TV on and we don't leave a second of quiet, we're gonna miss it. And obviously, he can get, shout louder if he wants to, right. um, but we don't. I don't want to miss the whispers. I want to hear that. So. And we may not actually like how that looks because sometimes the shouts are, you know, pretty
1: painful. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. I was going to ask for myself slash for anyone who's been in a dry season. I I think those are very natural, real, you know, common, Mm -hmm. I guess I should say common experiences for e- believers that to feel yeah. like I'm in a dry season. I, I don't feel like God's speaking to me. Like, or I, I remember a time where I felt like he was always speaking to me. I remember that he, it seemed like I always had this, you know, this real, this new revelation from him when mm-hmm. I would read the word or, or when I would pray, I got certainty or confirmation of something. And, you know, as I was thinking about how do you pray when you're in a dry season? I mean, like you said before, you just keep praying. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a better solution, right? Like uh, you have to pray through it because that's your only hope is like, God is the only one who provides that certainty or that confidence that you feel you're missing. But at this, in the same breath, I want to say, like, I think sometimes we are looking for a feeling and to determine what we believe to be true more than we are trusting in a God who is actually there regardless of how we feel you know? And sometimes I think I can approach my quiet time or my prayer time with this desire to like reach a mountaintop or a spiritual high, or kind of like get, you know, like indwelt somehow, like all of a sudden with the Holy spirit, like God, like give me some supernatural burst of energy or whatever it is that I want when that isn't necessarily how God is going to work today. And sometimes it like, I mean, maybe a lot of times, it's our weaknesses, you know, like he is made strong through our weakness. And so I don't know, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Oh gosh, I have so much. I talked about this yesterday to a group about repetition. Well, before that, so whenever we are praying consistently through a valley, that speaks so loudly to our faith in the Lord. That is so God glorifying. Okay. Because we have, when we're on a mountaintop and we feel like we're hearing God every day and we're doing all these things, we keep coming back to God because we're getting something. And I'm not saying that the, God has been gracious to give us those things, but to some extent, it's easy to keep coming back to God if every day after my quiet time, I feel so peaceful and full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But whenever I keep coming back to God and it's not this feeling, it is, we're showing that we have so much faith that no matter what I feel, God is real, and I'm going to keep coming back to Him. And like yeah. we, I just think we have no idea how much that that says to God mm-hmm. about what we believe. So I think like just Even know the that enemy you, too. Yes, yes, exactly. Like we're shutting him down. That that's huge. And I feel like if you're in a valley right now, or you feel like you're in a dry season. Just know the power that you have right now, not necessarily in the mountaintop. It's a different experience, but right now you have an incredible opportunity that you don't have anywhere else, but in the Valley. And that doesn't make it any easier necessarily, but I feel like it can at least be motivating to know that it's for a purpose and it is going to glorify God. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My girls have this little book found and it's about this little Liam kind of, it's basically based on Psalm one or Psalm 23, you know, though I walk through the Valley Valley the shadow of death like i know you're with me and it's like my shepherd he comforts me he guides me he leads me beside quiet waters he gives me everything i need and it's like this turning the page of seeing this little lamb like going through this very dark scary like thorny place and then his shepherd finding him and and like leading him beside this stream and it's like I know none of us want to be in the dark, thorny place mm-hmm. that doesn't that doesn't look like comfort, that doesn't look like ease or luxury or success like that looks like suffering and pain and and loneliness and and yet, like you just said, it's a different experience, but sometimes those are truly the most transformative times in mm-hmm. our lives like i I think for me, I would say. Certainly like those darkest or hardest periods in my life where I have felt the most without hope or the most, not without hope at all, but the most hopeless in and of myself are the times where I have been able to then feel nearest to God because Mm -hmm. he's been the only one that could help me. The only one that could minister to me, the only one that understood what I was experiencing. And so to praise him in, in those times as well. And even like that, that may look like a dry season, like even yeah. in season, like even if it's not a, a, a seeking time where you're like, I'm struggling, but I feel really near to the Lord. What, what if it's a dry season, like to do the same thing in that, because he is just as real, <laughs> you, you know, he yes. didn't stop existing because you feel distant. And that's a whole nother issue because, you know, God is actually never, never distant. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I've heard this said, and I'll probably kind of mess this up. So if you know about this, let me know. But I've heard it said that like, as we grow closer to the Lord, it's, it, we're maturing and getting older. So the same way, like you don't respond to a toddler, the way you respond to a teenager, like mm-hmm. if your toddler cries, you are there the second, you know, like they need yeah. something. If you're, if you're a teenager, Texts you and says, "Hey, I'm having an issue." It might take you a little while to get, and it's because they're older and they're more mature, yeah. and they don't. I don't want to say they don't need you as much because we obviously still need God, but but we don't need the same experience for the mm-hmm. feeling to know that God is real. And I think if you are maturing in your faith and you go through a dry season, take that as a sign that I mean, don't I don't want to say that, and then like it's like really we're just you know not spending the time with the Lord or, or we're we're creating a distance, but. If, if you are maturing and you feel like I am, you know, walking with the Lord so closely, but I don't feel him as much, just know that it's, it's probably a sign of maturity and not a sign of like, mm-hmm. where is God and where has he gone? Yeah. I don't know. I think that's, helpful. Really like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I feel like I had a season like that and I just remember, you know, it was probably four or five months and for the first part it was very discouraging and then by the time i started realizing all this it was almost like god i can sit, i can keep going like mm-hmm. i'm not sitting here impatient anymore like when am i going to get out of this because i knew that it was yeah. not a sign of like i got to like claw my way out of this it was like no i got i'm walking through the season and it is going to serve a purpose yeah
1: yeah i I'm, i thought of the verse the where it talks about pure spiritual milk and oh yes. First Peter 2, 2 says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Or another translation is, like newborn infants, long for spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And so that it's talking about that's describing sanctification you know like you start out as an infant with milk and you're given something easy to digest and the second you cry you are fed because you're hungry and your needs are great and as you get older and older you kind of get like weaned off of the milk and you are given solid food and then you are you know you're in a new stage and it's actually helpful for your mom or your your dad not serve your every need at the very first moment you do it but yeah. help you learn through through different means like here walk to me i'm not gone but you have to take some steps on your own now and i'm not saying like we're doing that of our own power or without god empowering us through the holy spirit but that like you said it may be part of our process of sanctification that he is growing us in a new way and it's not like he is just silent because he wants to make us feel bad, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that, I love that, that analogy because I think we can understand that as parents. You as the parent know what your child needs. You know what they need. And they may feel in, in the moment, yes. like, why are you doing this to me? This is, not, this is not what I want. This is not fair. You're making it harder on me, but you're like, no, but this is for your good. Like I, I'm doing this because I love you.
0: Yeah, exactly. I love that. I love that whole picture. Yeah, it's really good. Well, Val, I just really
1: have enjoyed chatting with you and I'm thankful for you taking the time in your busy schedule to to share with listeners about what your journey in motherhood and prayer has looked like. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I love, I just love talking about motherhood and prayer. So I'm grateful for this conversation too.
1: So where can people find out more about your prayer journals and check those out online?
0: If you go to ValMariePaper.com, you'll find everything. And I'm on Instagram at Val Warner. And it's W-O-E-R-N-E-R.
1: Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope that conversation was just practical and encouraging for you. Next week, I'm going to be chatting with Felicia Masonheimer all about progressive Christianity. This is one I have been just itching to share with you ever since I recorded it, and it's an incredible overview of what progressive Christianity is, and it's going to help you identify kind of the red flags and the markers that you may hear or see from speakers, authors, churches, or just out there in culture from friends or people that you might know. So this episode is an absolute must, uh, especially if you're a mom, because you are going to be raising the next generation. And we need to know what is true and what is not so come back next week for my chat with felicia until then hop onto apple podcasts and leave kindled a review uh you guys know that everybody tells you this helps the show get found it really does i truly do see an increase in traffic when i'm getting more new reviews i I really it's strange but it actually it actually does work so i would love if you would go share a uh rating and review on apple podcasts And then come over to Instagram and find me and say hi. My uh, name on there is haleywilliams.kindled. That's it. So until next time, have a great week.